Hi, I'm Rick Steves. It seems like just yesterday, but it's been an entire year now since Travel with Rick Steves debuted on our flagship affiliate KUOW in Seattle. It was quite a weekend, too. We debuted during the middle of the spring fun drive, and even though they hadn't heard a full show yet, KUOW listeners gave generously. We knew from the start that we were connecting with a listening audience curious about our world and eager to explore it. Also that weekend, thousands of miles away in Poland, our senior editor happened to arrive in the Pope's home city, Krakow, just hours before word got out that John Paul II had passed away. In just a moment, we'll hear the report Cameron Hewitt filed as he stood and mourned shoulder to shoulder with the Pope's fellow countrymen. We're also revisiting Poland with a tour guide friend who grew up in Warsaw. Kasia Derlitska offers an intimate insight into her home country as we learn why Poland is one of the real hotspots these days in European tourism. It's Poland from Vodka to Chopin on this week's Travel with Rick Steves. Stay with us. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Poland. Just a few years ago, the country was so grim, people were taking their windshield wipers in with them at night so they wouldn't get ripped off. Now, the country, free and booming, is a festival of pent-up entrepreneurial spirit. How can a land with so much sadness in its recent past be so happy today? There's more to it than vodka. We'll learn all the latest on Poland from my friend and fellow tour guide who joins us from Warsaw, Kasia Derlitska. It's next, an insider's guide to Poland as we travel with Rick Steves. But first, on April 2nd, 2005, Cameron Hewitt was researching in Poland to update our Eastern Europe guidebook. He arrived in Krakow just hours before word got out that Pope John Paul II, Poland's favorite son, had passed away. Cameron files this report on what that unforgettable night was like as the Pope's countrymen and women filled the streets of his hometown. I always thought I understood how important Pope John Paul II was to the Polish people. But until I was in Krakow, Poland, on the night of his death, I never really got it. I'm Cameron Hewitt. How are things going these days? I asked as I checked into my Krakow hotel. Pretty busy tonight, the manager said, since the Pope isn't doing too well. As soon as he got sick, the international press called and booked up all our rooms. Only then did it dawn on me that I was in the Pope's adopted hometown the town where he attended university and served as an archbishop, on the night he was supposed to take his final breath. As I walk into my room, I drop my backpack on the floor and turn on the TV. Every channel is covering the Pope's health. I switch to CNN. The reporter is standing in front of the archbishop's mansion in Krakow, just two blocks from my hotel. I put on my shoes and trudge up the street. As I approach the mansion, I see news trucks, then bright lights, and then, twinkling in the distance, I begin to make out thousands of votive candles. The white noise of a bustling Saturday night gradually fades out as I approach the mansion. A huge crowd fills the street. They're staring intently at the window over the door where the Pope stayed on visits to his hometown. During his most recent visit, in 2002, the people of Krakow suspected it might be his last. After the Pope went to bed, they filled the street and insistently called to him until he came to this window, so they could see him one more time. Tonight, a large black crucifix with a golden Jesus has been placed in the window, draped with a red cloth. A mass in the church across the street is being broadcast on loudspeakers outside, where 10,000 people stand attentively. The crowd is singing, and I get swept up in the haunting harmony. More a chant than a hymn, the same few phrases are repeated again and again. After a few rounds, I pick out the inspiring words, Niele Kanchesche, have no fear. These are the words spoken so often by the Pope to his countrymen during the bleak communist days. Without John Paul II, or Karol Wojtyla, as the Poles still think of him, there might not have been a solidarity. There might not have been an end to communism. To the Poles, their Karol was both the greatest Polish person in history, and yet also like a member of the family. The music stops, the priest says something in Polish, and the thousands and thousands of Poles all around me simultaneously drop to their knees. Eyes fill with tears. Women fish tissues out of their purses. A wave of sniffling washes over the crowd. 
In the distance, I hear someone wailing, and I understand the Pope has died. We kneel in silence for several long minutes. Then the priest's voice begins on the loudspeaker, and the poles around me begin to murmur. I guess from the cadence and the smattering of Polish words that I recognize that they're praying the Hail Mary over and over and over again. I glance around me. There's not a dry eye anywhere. Teenagers and retirees kneel side by side, tears rolling down their cheeks. Boyfriends comfort their sobbing girlfriends. Big, tough guys with Lech Wałęsa mustaches weep openly. Over the sound of the praying, church bells begin to ring from every direction. Krakow, a city of churches, is paying its respects. But quickly, this private moment of mourning is over. The international press shows up, turning their cameras on the kneeling poles, tiptoeing into the crowd to get the best shot. Nobody seems to notice. After several rounds of Hail Marys, everyone stands up. Music plays, and people around me start singing hymns. More cameramen arrive, weaving through the crowd, their cameras bobbing above everyone's heads. Eventually, I work my way through the crowd and head home. The roads are a traffic jam. Some people are leaving the Pope's window, while others are just arriving. Just up the street is Wawel Cathedral, Poland's most important church. Its bells toll mournfully through the cool Polish night. Beati gli afflitti, perché saranno consolati. Beati i miti, perché erediteranno la terra. Beati quelli. You're listening to Travel with Rick Steves. And today that means Poland, because I've got a friend and fellow tour guide with me, Kasia Derlitska, straight from Poland. You know, when I think about Poland these days, I remember the glum and bleak old days during the communist reign when people were actually taking their windshield wipers in with them at night because they were afraid they'd get ripped off and there's no way to replace them. Well, those days are long gone, and today Poland is a festival of pent-up entrepreneurial spirit. A lot of Americans, when they think about going to Eastern Europe, they think about Prague, but Prague is quite well discovered now in the Czech Republic, and the new Prague, people are saying, is Krakow, the historic capital of Poland. And of course, there's lots more to Poland than that. We recently produced a TV show on Poland, and Kasia was my sidekick for the production. And Poland does have a lot of uh, difficult and hard history, and we focused a lot on that, and we were afraid that our Poland show might be a little dark. But with Kasia, it was a bright and brilliant story, and we really grew to love that beautiful country, Poland. Kasia is um, Polish-born. She went to kindergarten in Russia. She went to the high school in the United States, and now she's uh, working uh, very busy with the Polish Red Cross. She's studied uh, international relations. She's worked with relief agencies in Bosnia, and today her focus is banning landmines. Pol- uh, Kasia also helps us with our tours, and every year she brings several of our groups around Eastern Europe, and today Kasia is joining us for a little look at her homeland, Poland. Kasia, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rink. It's great to be here. How do you say thank you in Polish? Dziękuję bardzo. Oh, very nice. Boy, it is, you know, Poland is a, a real trendy destination right now for Americans. Why is Poland so popular with American travelers? I think because it's, it has a lot to offer. It's a very inspiring motion country. Great people, great hospitality, great food, and of course we also have great drinks like vodka. Now, you can say that because you're Polish, that it's a great, inspiring, and friendly country. But my wife and I just went to Poland, and we both were impressed the same way. It is a country that just, you are endeared to the people of Poland. Uh, there's something about it that, that is inspiring indeed. It's a culture that is vivid, it's alive, and there's a special energy right now because Poland is part of the EU. In May in 2004, Poland, along with nine other countries, I believe, most of the Warsaw Pact, former Warsaw Pact, joined Europe, and the geographical center of Europe shifted from about Belgium to about Czech Republic, and all of a sudden, Europe has moved to the east. Uh, Poland is no longer Eastern Europe. It's really Central Europe. It's part of the, east, part of the European Union. Has this been a, a good thing for the Polish people? It's been a great thing for the Polish people. Actually, I think hard to believe because we all remember the time of communism. We still quite many people, we still remember also the time of the Second World War. And when I look back in this short life that I had until today, it's quite amazing to see these huge changes taking place 
just recently we've become we were part of the Warsaw Pact. We were under communism. Life was something very, very di- different than it is today. And today we are all excited because we became part of the EU and of the new Europe and, and Europe that gives you a lot of possibilities and hopefully great future. And I think Poland just is one of the larger countries in Europe. It's one of the larger populations in Europe. And of course, uh, geographically, I believe it's one of the very largest countries. Exactly. You are right. There are 40 million of Poles living in Poland. And there are about 40 million Poles living outside of Poland, like in the U.S., Australia, and so forth. So that must be one of the reasons why there's so much interest in America in traveling in Poland. I don't know much interest in American traveling in Bulgaria because there's not that many Bulgarian Americans compared to Polish Americans. 40 million Poles outside of Poland. I would imagine there are some very big Polish cities in the United States. Exactly. You're right. And we have a joke that the second biggest Polish city just after Warsaw is, of course, what? Chicago. Is that right? <laughs> it is right. Also, yes. Poland has uh, endeared itself to a lot of Americans because they have supported our foreign policy more than other countries. Why do you think that is? This is a very interesting question. I've been thinking about it a lot, and we've been discussing this issue in Poland. Why do Poles love America and Americans so much, and why do we support American policy so much? And for people who, for example, saw the movie by Polanski, The Pianist, This is quite an obvious answer. Poland has been kind of betrayed by many European powers. First of all, we were always sandwiched between Great Russia and this very powerful Germany. And we looked back to some other supporters like Great Britain or France. And during the Second World War, Poland experienced that it is left alone, behind, with no help, with no friends. So it's become quite natural to look to look over the Atlantic to the ally, the U.S. Okay, and so it stays away until today. America has stood by you. Yes. Also, a poll once told me that in the 1930s, Poland said, we need a preemptive strike on Hitler, or he will go crazy and we'll all regret it. And nobody took Poland's call seriously, and um, a decade later, they wish they would have. Exactly so. So we have this very painful experience. Well, I think a lot of times how scarred America is with the Great Depression or the Vietnam War and so on. And then I go to Poland and I sit there with you on the steps of the, the great uh, <laughs> parks or in the great boulevards. And I think that just 50 years ago, there was not literally not a building standing in Warsaw. Exactly. I come from the city of Warsaw. This is the phoenix rising from the ashes, as I told you many times. Uh, during the Second World War, Warsaw disappeared. It was raised. It was even, we had even the idea that we should no, re, not rebuild the city because it would be too difficult. We should just build a new city just from the scratch. And then we decided, no, it's the phoenix, and the phoenix always rises. So today we have beautiful Warsaw, Grand Warsaw again. But it's a very, very young city in a way, as you said. 50 years ago, there was nothing left. Not a building standing. Of course, they rebuilt the old town painstakingly accurately. I mean, even right down to the wrinkles in the buildings, they are rebuilt the way they were before the Great Destruction. Oh, yes. But there's a modern, thriving city in, in Warsaw also. An insider's guide to Poland. Coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today that means Poland, because I've got a friend and fellow tour guide with me, Kasia Derlitska. Give us a call at 877-333-RICK. You know, when you think about Poland's membership in the EU, generally it would be good news, but what are, what are the downsides? What, if somebody is against Poland's membership in the EU and the European Union, why would they be against it? Why would they be against it? Poles are quite well known for very rebellious characters. You know, we, are, we have good training in uprisings, insurrections and this kind of things against the Russians and the Germans and all the others. So there is a joke like once Poland is in the EU, it is going to bring this very rebellious character and it's going to divide European Union into different uh, fractions. <laughs> I think the older generation is what loses out. You're a young Pole and you've got a lot of future and everything. Are there some people that are nostalgic about the old days? Yes, unfortunately, yes. Um, there is this lost generation, as I call them. This is the generation of my grandparents, even my parents. These are people who have never used computers and they will not learn how to use it. They don't know the languages. They were used to this very secure, uh, state-supported way of life. Everybody had a job. Everybody was supported. Everybody could send children to school, to university, school gardens, and so on. And today, this, this kind of life is gone. And these people cannot adapt to this new reality. So the old life for these people was the security provided by communism. The security. You knew exactly how your tomorrow would look like. Cradle to grave security, no question. You'd have a job. You had a job. Maybe you didn't have too much money, but it was enough because the shops were empty anyways. So, but security was definitely there. Now, you grew up as a, as a young girl in communist times. Do you have any memories that are sort of nostalgic and actually warm and cozy from those days? I actually do. Everything was quite special in communism. First of all, there was the security. I don't remember my parents uh, worrying about that maybe they will get fired from, from their workplace or anything like that. So I was a very happy child, went to school, had peaceful time, everybody had the same clothes, we didn't kind of argue over the small things, and everything was special because, for example, Christmas or Easter time, it was the special food that we got only, they, that my parents managed to organize or to get only twice a year. And, and, and today I kind of think that we have Christmas every day. And at that time, Christmas was only once a year, and it was very special. That is very interesting to think that there are some good memories. There are many, many good memories. Wow. Now, in Poland, when I was in Poland, I was very impressed at how strong the religion is. You go into churches all over Europe, and they're more like museums and a couple <laughs> yes. of stray people praying, yeah. but you felt like uh, comfortable being a tourist mm -hmm. in there. When I go into a church in Poland, I feel like I'm entering into a very lively spiritual zone filled with devout people. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that because this is exactly how you should experience Poland and Polish people. Polish people are believers, and religion, Catholicism, is something much more than just a religion in Poland. It used to be our way. It, it used to be our response um, against all the bad things that happened in our history. Uh, you can imagine being between Orthodox Russia and Protestant Germany. Catholicism was a way to identify ourselves, to to be strong against the other cultures, the other religions, and to express our, our identity, our so, freedom, our, our difference. So for centuries, Poland is crushed between Orthodox Russia and Protestant Germany, exactly. literally moving, having yes. everybody have to move to the east, everybody have to move to the west, mm -hmm. and you stayed Poland. For centuries. They never wiped... Poland was off the map as a political unit yeah, for Yeah, for over long? 125 years. But the, but the, but the culture but the survived. the people stayed, the culture survived, thanks to Catholicism. In big part. And getting through the communist time, 50 years of communism or whatever. It know. was a very similar story. Uh, contrary to all other uh, Central European countries, Poland was still very, very strongly engaged with the church, with the religion. And the communists knew that as soon as they will try to touch churches, as they will try to close the churches down, as in other countries, they will have a huge rebellion in Poland. Because... It was many, many of the priests, many of the church persons were the ones who were in, engaged in the underground movement. We had masses for the freedom, for the liberty of Poland. So being a member of, an active member of the Catholic Church in Poland during communist times actually was a way for you to register your dissent against the communist government? Exactly. Was it dangerous for people to be active in the church? 
It was, and we had uh, incidents. We had uh, cases where priests were even um, martyred. Wow. I want to get to some calls. I'm talking with Kesha Derlitska, who's a guide and a friend of mine from Poland who's joining us today and giving an insight into her country. But first, before we get to our calls, I'd like to talk a little bit about probably the most famous consumable in Poland, vodka. Do, uh, <laughs> do nice young women like you drink vodka? What should I say? The truth or just, just between you and me. <laughs> just between you and, uh, yeah. So to tell you the truth, I'm not a big vodka fan. If I disappointed you, <laughs> I'm very sorry. But I'm not a big vodka fan. We drink vodka for very specific occasions. Uh, so today, Polish people, especially young people, mostly drink beer, some of them wine. And vodka, vodka still is a must for occasions like family a gatherings. Wedding, a wedding or something. Weddings, for example. How would vodka be part of a wedding ceremony? This is something, I mean, you... Literally, you actually need to get drunk to be a good wedding guest because it's such a big celebration. People are so happy or they should be so happy. You actually use vodka quite a lot. And it means that every time uh, the glasses are full with vodka, uh, somebody would make a toast. You don't, drink, you don't just drink in Poland. Every, you, don't, you don't sip it. You, you don't sip, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that's for sure you don't sip. But you also, you, uh, you, you make toasts. And every toast is to, to something or to somebody. And, and this, this is, a, you know, it's almost an art. And as you mentioned, you don't sip vodka. You drink to the bottom. Now, do you chase it with something? And then you chase it with juice, with water, with, with anything. Huh. Hey, we've got some calls. I've got uh, Eileen on the phone from San Diego. And Eileen is interested in conducting some family research. Apparently, she's got some relatives in Poland. Yes. Rick, I wanted to find out... Um, how I could go about working on some ancestral roots. My mother's um, family hails from Pomerania originally. And, of course, uh, Poland received the land, I guess, after 1945. And we have uh, many uh, towns that we've been able to find through our research. The only problem is once Poland um, took root, they, the towns were changed and the areas were changed. And we were wondering if there's a way to get a source uh, through Poland, through their visitor center, or through websites that would be of help to us to try to translate some of the old Pomeranian um, towns and areas into what is presently the very northwestern corner of Poland. So you searching for your roots have had some confusion because the historic names are different today, is that right? Correct. Kasia, what's the deal? Uh, yeah, I know it's a big problem, and, and you are exactly right. All the names, all the divisions have changed once Poland regained its lands after 1945. And I say regained because it used to be Polish, then it was German, then it was Polish again. Uh, and it's a big concern for many people who have ancestors there. Um, what I would suggest, I would suggest first trying to look for these names and, and these stories here in the U.S., actually, there is a, um, as I believe, there's some method, methodologist library centers, and they have all these microfilms from um, sometimes amazingly small places back in Poland, because this is something I have done in the U.S. some time ago. And then a good idea is to also get in, talk, uh, get in contact with local parishes, and uh, and local authorities very often they have documents and and microfilms with all the old names that would be a catholic church in this village in that would be Pomerania. a catholic church in this village which would keep all the documents of your ancestors like uh, the certificate of birth and 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 and, and, and etc does that give you some ideas Eileen? yeah uh, yes it does you know, I've been searching on websites sometimes even to just put in some of these towns that, that we do have in documentation in once they uh, came to Wisconsin, which is where I'm from originally. Towns like Dargislaw or Wengerin and Wrestlecow and mm -hmm. uh, actually not able to find them, you know, at all as if they ha hadn't existed. And I have been able to find the history of Pomerania, and it's mm -hmm. through a World Gen website but yeah. they deal more with the Vorpommern, which has eventually became part of Germany. 
And uh, so the history I've been able to get, but just have not been able to find any kind of references whatsoever, except for on the documents through uh, the U.S. portion of it. Um, I just haven't been able to get any links. So that's, that's where my problem comes in. I didn't know if Poland, what, like if we would actually visit there mm-hmm. and go to some local source there, you know, even if it would be having a map that yes. would, could compare mm-hmm. the two, show maybe the transference of this town becoming this town. There's that, nothing that, that easy available. Is right. There, there is nothing that easy available. Actually, if you are interested enough, I would advise you go there. You go on the spot. Uh, before that, it would be great if you had a local person who would help you with the language and, you know, with just getting around. I and should then, mention, by the way, that Polish mm-hmm. guides are young, they're <laughs> university educated, they're very good with their English, and quite affordable. So, Eileen, it would be quite reasonable for you to go to Krakow or go to Warsaw, the biggest center, hire right. a local guide who has a car. It'd be 100 or $150 a day. And then you'd have your expert who's fluent and knows the ins and outs. And then go to one of the parish, uh, the churches there and do your work on the ground actually in the town. Okay, actually, yes. that sounds great. Yes, the churches is the source, actually. They have all the documents. Surprisingly, okay. this is the, the, the best source, especially if you look for the small, small villages and towns. Eileen, thank you very much for your call. Great, thank yeah, you so much. Thanks. Yeah. Now Bye. we're going to go to Sarah. Sarah in Hilliard, Ohio. And uh, Sarah's got actually a tip for us. She recommends a place in northeast Poland, a national park. Hi, yes. Thanks for uh, your call. Yeah, it's, I think it's the Wierski National Park or something. And I think I, I'm pronouncing it right, but there's a lake there called Vigory. So I don't, I don't know how they rearrange the name. Now you're the unusual American who knows something about Poland other than Krakow, Warsaw, and Auschwitz, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, this is <laughs> it great. Was, it was a study abroad thing that we did, and uh, we actually, it was through a natural resources department at um, OSU, at Ohio State and uh, University. And um, You stayed around Poland or actually in this park? In the park, and um, we went to Gdansk and Olsztyn and uh, Malbork and some other you mm-hmm. know, places there in the Christ. north. What was your impressions mm-hmm. of an, uh, traveling in Poland? It was it was like going home, really. And I don't have any Polish ancestry. How could it be like going home? It, it was just like everywhere you went, they're really happy to see you and um, very hospitable. It was it was just like going to my grandma's house where you know they're like, "Are you hungry?" and you're like, "No," and they're like, "Okay, here's some food," you know. And and uh, it was it was just a very warm reception. And I've been to other places in Europe where I just I didn't feel that hospitality was this quite the same as it was in Poland. You know, for me, there's sort of a Mediterranean warmth in Poland. It's a it's an unusual thing up there in the north, you yeah. know, where people are more tight and, and, and stoic. In Poland, there's this wonderful, romantic love of life. And, of course, you got the dreary weather compared to Spain or Italy or something like that. But there's a warmth in the people there that is unique in the north. Definitely. I would now, agree with that. Uh, Kasia was uh, saying, ah, the, the nature of Poland is underrated. And here you are, you're calling us about a national park. What was the, uh, how, would the, how was this park so uh, enjoyable for you? Well, the scenery was just beautiful, and I think um, I live in the Midwest, and we just don't have a lot of, like, old-growth forests and stuff. Our woods are very, lots of small trees, and and it's just not quite the same, um, you know, that same history naturally, I guess. And uh, they just had some really impressive forests. I don't think this was actually in that park, but we went to a place called the Baratska Forest, where um, they actually had, like, a, a weather monitoring research station, and, and um, the air was very healthy and pure. And, and um, we, we did some experiments that tested the, um, you know, the quality of the air and the quality of the water just in various places in the northeastern region and by looking at the types of lichens and uh, animals that were living in the streams or whatever, and uh, the lichens were in the trees, of course. But, um, you know, it all, everything turned up that, you know, the water was excellent quality and the air was excellent quality. And, really? Uh, no, yeah, it was really it was really special. And, uh, you know, you just don't get that here in Ohio. <laughs> it's interesting, Sarah, because during the Soviet times, I think the Soviet Union actually um, penalized or punished uh, free-spirited regions and towns by giving them all the heavy industry and the terrible pollution. I know that was true yeah. in Krakow. And uh, you find, with your studies, that Poland had a pretty good natural environment. Kasia, any comments on this park or the environment? Oh, I'm so happy to receive this call because I was just about to say how beautiful and diverse Poland is. And this is the Vigurski National Park. And uh, the lake you mentioned, it's the biggest lake in Poland. And it's mm-hmm. in the Mazurian region. Yeah. It's uh, the land of thousand lakes in Poland, as we yeah. say. 
And uh, you also write about the forest, all the region we call the green lungs of Poland. This yeah. is the region that ex- yeah, lungs of Poland. Yes, and today it's promoted as this very, very natural region, and we export a lot of agricultural stuff to the European Union. From, from this part and it is really beautiful and as you mentioned the, the forests are very special this is the only region left in Europe now that has this so-called prime forest the we, we very, would call that old growth right? the old growth forest all natural 100 years old and just nearby you have the only spot in Europe when you have the natural environment of the European buffalo or bison we call it jubr yeah, and and uh, so I'm really happy you visited this part, which is actually not that well known, especially to Americans. But Sarah was lucky because she was on mm-hmm. a foreign study program, and yeah. she had some teachers that apparently had an interesting agenda there. Hey, Sarah, thank you very much for your call and giving thank us you a, so th- much. Yeah, a thank thought. you so much. Public radio is your next best thing to a plane ticket, and this is travel with Rick Steves. Give us a call at eight seven seven three 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 Rick. You listen to Chopin's music, it's pure Poland. Kasia on Poland, coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. La strada. <laughs> As Michi Ars McLuhan from Grand Cole is traveling with Rick and Steves. And that is Scots Gaelic, the old Scots language, and I'm saying my name is Arthur Smith from Glencoe in the Highlands and I'm travelling with Rick Steves. And in Scottish again is Mish Arthur McGovern and I'm travelling with Rick Steves. I can't put Rick Steves in Gallic, no, so I'd love to. But I would too, it'd be fun uh, to hear. Thanks, yeah. Arthur. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Call me at 877-333-RICK or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. I'm talking with Kesha Derlitska, who's a guide and a friend of mine from Poland. Yeah, let's go to Alan in Golden's Bridge in New York. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks for calling. Sure. Um, I was actually in Poland three years ago in Warsaw uh, for work, and I went with no expectations whatsoever. Actually, colleagues of mine said it. They were not impressed at all, and they had gone about two years before I had gone. So 
I walked in really with no impression whatsoever, and I got to my hotel. I was staying at the Bristol in mm-hmm. downtown Warsaw wow. and walked walked around. I was immediately impressed and very taken. Uh, I walked through the Stary Miasto, which is the old town. Mm-hmm. The only way to describe it was I felt like the movie Beauty and the Beast came to life. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That was> beautiful. <laughs> and... Um, my first night there, I was on my own and went out to dinner at a fairly nice restaurant, and it cost me, I think, $6 for a really nice meal with everything from soup to nuts. That's so, what I noticed, you know, Alan. I was on the most expensive piece of real estate, I think, in Poland, probably from a tourist point of view, the main square in Krakow, and I just decided I'm going to sit whatever place looks really good, I'm going to order whatever I like, and it was like pennies compared to what you'd expend anywhere else in Europe. And I just come from Madrid for... Um, for the first part of my business trip, so I could not believe the contrast in prices. Uh, I was able to spend a few days at work and also wandering around. I got to see Madame Curie's house. I saw the Royal Palace. Uh, went out to dinner a few more times, and then the day I was about to leave, uh, one thing I do is I walked around Novi Sviat and got to see Warsaw University. I went to a great uh, book and record store called Empic. Which kind of reminded me of borders, but again, a lot less expensive than here in the States. But the day I was due to leave, I was taking a lot of Polish Airlines home. And uh, my colleague called the airline for me. I was supposed to leave Poland at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They said my flight was delayed till 8 o'clock at night. And all through the day, back and forth, I kept calling the airport because I, kind of, I felt kind of uncomfortable. And at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I was told to call back at 5 o'clock. I had my hotel call at 5 o'clock. They said my uh, flight was leaving in half an hour, that I better get to the airport immediately. So I had to go from my hotel all the way to Okecha Airport, which takes about 15 minutes, ran there, and I got to the airport, and I was told they had no idea when and if my flight was leaving. The ground crew there really has a very much communist mentality. You ask them questions, can you help me? Their answer is invariably no. Uh, do you have more information for me? No. So that was one of the frustrations that I found, that uh, a lot of workers were not helpful, whereas if you went to private, in, private enterprises such as stores or tourist sites or restaurants, people were extremely helpful and extremely affable. Um, and overall, I told my wife I would go back to Warsaw in a minute if, she, if we ever decide to do a vacation in Europe on the cheap. All right. Alan, thank you very much for your call. Sure. Happy travels. We've got an email question from Edward in Las Vegas, and he wants to know about traveling in villages. Uh, specifically, he wants to visit, I, I can't even pronounce this, how do you say this? Panta? Pantalowice. Near? Rzeszów. Rzeszów. R-Z-E-S-Z-O-W. Exactly. Rzeszów. Rzeszów. Do you have any tips on villages? Everybody goes to the big cities, Krakow and Warsaw and so on. Mm-hmm. Actually, to visit villages in Poland is much easier than to do it in the United States, for example, because we have really a great... Um, system of public transport, uh, the same for buses or trains. So once you get to Poland, and especially if you, if it's not your first visit in Poland, if you have some relatives or some people you know in Poland, it will be quite easy. They will show you around and you can easily get to the villages by local bus or even by train sometimes. If You're not, less likely to find English-speaking people in the villages or not? Uh, probably, Yes. Probably yes. So you have to you, you have to take this in account that in villages there will be mostly farmers living, uh, probably older than than my generation. And the traditions survive in the yes. villages more than the cities. Oh yes, definitely. If you want to see tradition, if you want to see this very uh, simple way of living and traditional customs and culture, you definitely should visit villages, and they are very often very picturesque. Uh, very warm, open. People would treat you as a member of your family. They would invite you to their home. They would offer you even staying over. Uh, They would feed you. (laughs) Well, like Emily was talking Mm -hmm. earlier, when she got out into the regions, the countryside, they don't even see tourists much, and they will welcome Mm -hmm. you with, they'll open their door to you. Is there still this tradition where they would paint a house colorfully when the daughter is ready to be uh, courted by the men in the village? There is. There is one region in Poland. It's around Krakow. Uh, where you go in this very small traditional villages, you will see a lot of old houses uh, which would be painted with uh, blue stripes. 
and it means that the, the daughter is ready to get married. So the, the, the mom and the dad are ready to let yeah, the daughter they date? To, yes. <laughs> and they paint the house colorful exactly and the boys so. know, all right, yes, I've been waiting yes, for the colors. Yes. But this is the thing you can only see in, in the small villages around Krakow. You wouldn't see that in Warsaw? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got Naomi from Irvine, California. And uh, Naomi wants to know, what cities and towns do you recommend to visit on a two-week trip? Uh, and how do you find an English-speaking guide? So let's say you got two weeks in Poland. How would you, um, what would you show me in two weeks if I had in Poland? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time for Poland, but it's not too much time for Poland. <laughs> there is never too much time for Poland. If you want to see main cities and towns, uh, you would definitely need to begin with Warsaw, my hometown and the capital city. For Warsaw, I would say allow two to three days. Uh, it's a big metropolis and and you need the time to really explore, explore the city and to discover the, the stories behind it, to understand it. It's a very complex place. It will not strike right away, but once you get to learn the story, the history of Warsaw, you, I bet you will become to love it. And Warsaw has many inspirational sites dealing with the uprising and the ghetto and so on. Exactly, exactly. So if you are interested in history... Uh, the Jewish story, the ghetto, the Holocaust, this is also all connected to war. So if you are interested in very inspirational stories, you will hear more a lot about the Warsaw Uprising. And since the 60th anniversary, I think there's even more museums and more, I mean, it's amazing yeah. to see the powerful museums there. Also the Chopin heritage. Exactly. For music lovers, this is the, the city, the home city of Friedrich Chopin, the greatest Polish composer. And there's a beautiful park with a statue of Chopin, one of my favorite places in Europe, and the willow tree is blowing over his head. Yes, yes. And there is a story to it, of course. We have this beautiful park. There is a palace on the water in the, in the park and this beautiful big statue of Friedrich Chopin. And Chopin was sitting under a big willow tree. And this is very important that this is a willow tree because we, all Pauls, say that uh, listening to Chopin's music, you can hear the wind blowing through the willow trees. And willow trees grow all around in Poland. It's kind of a national tree. Uh, so it's our very romantic perception of the music. So even if he did most of his writing in France, where he spent most of his creative life, I think... He was forced to spend most of his life in France because this is the time when Poland did not exist as a state on the map. We were, we were divided between Russia, Prussia, and, and Austria. And uh, yes, and, and Chopin, as many other writers and, 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 and politicians and composers, he went abroad. But he still had the Polish Paris. spirit. He still yes, had the Polish you, yes, the of connection course, with of the culture. Course. If you listen to Chopin's music, it's pure Poland. It's and you pure feel Polish that. wind blowing through this. Willow trees. I love that. (laughs) To me, sitting in that park in downtown Warsaw with this dramatic statue of Frederick Chopin and looking at the willow tree blowing over his head, thinking of the power of the Polish culture and this beautiful music of Chopin. It's great. Hearing the Polonaise. (laughs) Also, Naomi wanted to know, how do you find an English-speaking guide? It's not a problem at all. Uh, In any major city like Warsaw, Krakow, like Gdańsk, some of the biggest cities you should definitely see on on your visit to Poland, you go to a tourist information office or agency and they will have lists of English-speaking guides, German-speaking guides. Poland is part of the EU. It's become very international. It's open. It's inviting um, guests and, and, and the travelers could to come. So English is the the most widely spoken language after Polish, of course, today. And a lot of young, well-educated Poles earn a little living while they're students or something exactly by taking so. groups around. Exactly so. I have had universally good uh, experience with the private guides I've hired in Poland, and you're one of one of many. <laughs> it's just great. Hey, we've got Bruce on the line in Tempe, Arizona, and uh, Bruce recommends to visit Poland now before it modernizes too much. Uh, yes. Hi, Rick. It's good to hear you. Thank you for your call. What's uh, What are your thoughts on that? I think that uh, there's a lot of uh, still old preserved things that are good and reconstructed things that are good. I think you were right to have... Uh, Krakow be the uh, the focus of a first visit to Poland, uh, but if you have more time than just that, I think the things to do are go to Warsaw, look at the Stare Miasto, the, the old town, and then if you have time, go up to towards uh, Gdansk on the Baltic, see if you can stop by the um, Malbork uh, where they have the old Teutonic Knights Castle. It's a reproduction, a reconstruction, but it's got these old, um, you know, amber collections and such. So I think that's very 
very interesting. So you can see things, I think, that are um, really look like old Poland or Poland from different eras, but everywhere you go, if you want to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, they've got it there. So Poland is uh, sort of uh, joining the modern uh, rat race in, in your estimate, and things will be changing in the near future? Yes, but there are still places you can go, and if you drive off of the the main road, you've got these little two-lane highways that are beautiful, but uh, not really good for fast transit. If you just want two people zipping around, you know, take the train, enjoy the, the, the back view of things. I think that's probably good advice. Yes, <laughs> definitely. We have one of the best train systems in, in, in this part of Europe, so it's, it's traveling by train is really great, and this is true. The roads in Poland are still very bumpy, and some of them date back to the Second World War, so it's not a great, maybe, pleasure, oh. but it is an adventure to travel like that, too. And that gets you to the places where you'll be received as an adventurer. Exactly so. And I mean, you remember, come into a village that has no yes. tourism. You're in for a good experience. Bruce, did you ever go to a town that, that really had absolutely no tourism? I mean, the places you mentioned are great sites, but they're, they're uh, visited by tourists. Well, I did a little traveling with a, a friend uh, who had a, a job there and, and saw some things. Um, uh, the thing that I would recommend if, you're, um, if you want to get away from tourists speaking English uh, that's kind of a little off the beaten track is um, uh, go to Frombork, which is just 15 kilometers from the, the uh, Russian border, the old Copernicus uh, Observatory Cathedral. And uh, when I was there, there was basically nobody there speaking English or anything. Wow. Um, but, you know, I think anything that you have a personal interest in, you can go, um, go exploring. Bruce, did you manage okay not speaking Polish? Oh, yes, uh, just fine. Although, um, uh, you know, I think if you're at a site and you have the opportunity of waiting or paying for an English language tour, you're going to get a lot more out of it because there's plenty of things that aren't fully marked. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think Poland, uh, it's less expensive to get private English-speaking help, and it's more helpful, so it would be a good investment. But uh, forgive me for just assuming you don't speak Polish, but I would imagine most Americans that enjoy Poland don't speak Polish. Right. I, I, I studied up and learned a few words, uh, and, uh, of course, your advice on you know, how to read a train schedule uh, you know, works in Poland, too. Sure. Um, and uh, also, for people who don't want to backtrack but want to go through all of Poland by train, uh, you can, of course, fly when you leave. But another option is you can take the ferry over to Sweden and go somewhere else. That's a popular, that's sure a popular way to connect out of there. Speaking of the language, Kesha, can you teach Bruce a tongue twister in Polish? With pleasure. Yes. Are you ready, Bruce? I think so. All right. W Szczebrzeszynie chrząszcz brzmi w trzcinie, a Szczebrzeszyn z tego słynie, że tam sobie chrząszcz brzmi w trzcinie. Okay, Bruce. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> what did you say in English, Kesha? I mean, in English it goes, it's quite a ridiculous line. Uh, there is a cricket playing its songs in the town of Szczebrzeszyn, and he's having a lot of fun doing this. There's a cricket playing his sounds in the town of Szczebrzeszyn. And he's having lots of fun doing it. <laughs> Say it again, Kasia. Szczebrzeszynie chrząszcz brzmi w trzcinie, a Szczebrzeszyn z tego słynie, że sobie tam chrząszcz brzmi w trzcinie. Let's start easier. How do you say good day, good talk? Dzień dobry. Dzień dobry, that's Dzień a good dobry. one. Dzień dobry. Yes, very good. <laughs> and how do you say thank you? Dziękuję. Dziękuję bardzo. Dziękuję bardzo. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and if you're going to raise your glass of vodka to a new friend, what do you say? What do we say? We say na zdrowie. Nastrovia. <laughs> I say nice driving. Nastrovia. Nastrovia. <laughs> it works in Russia, too. Hey, Bruce, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you very much, Rick. All right, happy Thank travels. Right. Sonia in Lake Forest Park, Washington, has sent us an email, and she asks, is the Baltic coast worth a visit? Is there a car ferry from Sweden to Poland? Well, Bruce was just talking about that. There is a car ferry from Sweden to Poland. What about the Baltic coast? The Baltic coast is one of the most magic places in Poland. We love the Baltic Sea. This is the Polish Sea, as we call it. And it's absolutely worth your visit. It's maybe not Mediterranean. It's definitely not. It will be not that warm and, and um, inviting, but it's very picturesque. It's beautiful. It has sandy, white beaches. And these beaches are full of amber. You can find amber on the beaches? Yes, of course. You can find amber only at the Baltic Sea. So in Scandinavia, in Poland, in Estonia and Latvia. And Poland has one of the longest um, coastlines. And then there would be boat connection from Poland 
up to Sweden. Yes, and it's a very popular connection. And I'm impressed that the environment... My image of Poland was from the old Warsaw Pact days when it was an industrial nightmare. I mean, all this heavy industry and pollution, and my hanky used to turn black in a few hours when I crossed the border into Eastern Europe in the old days. (laughs) Today, that's changed. Today, that's changed. We take great care of our natural environment. There is a lot to do. It's true. This 50 years of communism left a lot of mess that needs to be cleaned up. But right now, we also don't have a choice because the European Union has very strict regulations and we have to adapt to this. And Poland has a lot to offer. Poland is the only country right now left in Europe that still have natural rivers. They are not regulated. Even in in Warsaw, as you remember when you visited Warsaw, one of the banks looks like a wild bank somewhere in the forest. It's not regulated. It's it's very rare. It's very unique in, in, in Europe. Do they still make the Polski Fiat, the Polish Fiat? Ha, ha, ha. They don't do then they don't make the Polski Fiat any longer, but it's still you can still see it a lot in Poland. People still drive it. What was the deal? They bought the um, used production molds and so on from the Italian factory. Yes. So they have these worn out molds and you got all these nice, smooth, well worn cars <laughs> hot off the assembly line in Poland. Yes. <laughs> and that was a major well, car during the communist uh, time. That was the car. Everybody dreamed about having uh, this Polski Fiat. It was the car for the people given from the government. It's a tiny, weeny, small car. <laughs> tiny, very, weeny. very, very it's small. Polish for teeny, weeny. It's, yes, it's, it's just very, very small. So there's still a lot of those surviving from 1980s? Oh, there is a lot. So whenever you come to Poland, especially to smaller towns, you will see lots of them. And it's hard. It's, it's really hard not to laugh because I know Americans are used to these huge cars and when they see this small poor thing. They believe that you cannot drive it, but you can. And there is really four people that could fit in. And during communism, there were no impossible things, as you know. So even sometimes we would pack six, sometimes seven people into this small thing, and it still would go. Six into a Polski Fiat. Hey, Kasia Derlitska, thank you so much for your insight into your beautiful country, Poland. Thank you for being with us. Dziękuję bardzo. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online, including listener feedback, archived audio on demand, and podcast extras. It's in the radio section at our website, ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.